I'm Annie Apple, and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising April. It's the most intimate sports-related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burr, DeAndre Hopkins, Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app. HD you are listening to a Live Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Amazon-backed homegrown online lending startup Capital Float seeks to make a dent in the online lending space. The company has in total raised $125 million from investors such as Ribbit Capital, Safe Partner, Sequoia, and the online retailer Amazon. It raised its latest round of funding of $15 million in April from its existing backers. In the latest dispatch of Mint Startup Diaries, we visited their Bangalore offices, understanding their strategy, expansion plans, and roadmap ahead. This interview was conducted pre-corona. Yes, this is how the world will be defined too in the coming times. COVID-19, or coronavirus, is having an unprecedented and devastating impact on global businesses travel restrictions, disrupted supply chains, subdued demand, and labor issues have unsettled global markets. And it is inevitable that businesses have been impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. And at a time when fintech boom is faltering, we asked the founders, Sashank Rishai Singha and Gaurav Hinduja, on how is the business doing now? According to the founders, Although lending has been significantly scaled down in the current environment, they're working on developing the latest SME finance product called Fast Loans, a digital financing solution designed to serve the working capital needs of SMEs. Also to help users during the current lockdown period, they've launched a Find a Store feature as well as a digital COVID insurance product. Listen to the interview to know more. Hello and a very warm welcome to everybody. I am Shujal Gawad and you are watching the episode of Minsagar Diaries. With me are founders of Capital Flow. Please have me welcome Gaurav and Shushan. Thank you. Gaurav Shushan, thank you. Thanks for having me. Shushan, I remember sort of speaking with you when you came to pitch Capital Flow in the conferences. Look how far you have come, like surely. I think even FinTech was a pretty nascent term in India. And uh, I think at that time, Probably when we spoke to a bunch of VCs about our idea to do loans online, most people thought we were a bit crazy. <laughs> um, I think we, we're glad we decided to persevere with the idea because now I think five years later, um, digital lending is as mainstream as it can be. It's interesting that you speak about fintech, you know, and I've seen this that, you know, at least the VC startup ecosystem tends to work in cycles. There seems to be a sector range and because of seem to be going after that. So there was an e-commerce wave that we saw in the SaaS wave. And now increasingly, I'm meeting a lot of fintech entrepreneurs. And there seems to be a huge bias towards the so-called capital allocation slash NPFC space. So please help me understand that why there's so much rush suddenly into have digital lending. Because isn't that market really served by the big and more traditional players anyways? To say that the existing incumbents, however good they are, banks or NBFCs, have already penetrated the market would not be necessary, right? I think the second thing is what digital lending folks like us and few others are doing well is how do you be disruptive even in the experience, right? 
And that's a, a big kind of piece of how digital lending has grown and will continue to evolve in the coming years as to how can you make this as seamless and as easy for a customer, whether it's a small business borrowing a couple of lakhs or a consumer wanting to shop on e-commerce platforms and borrow 20,000. I think finding that customer at the point of transaction, creating an experience that is so seamless, I think, uh, I think that is still uh, an opportunity area for all of us to kind of really go out and still make more improvements on. Interesting, you spoke about the opportunity set, but you're talking about the environment right now, you know, especially post the ILFS debacle, you know, I mean, fintech, especially say NBFC, has really become a bad word. You know, it is not necessarily in the highest that it used to be. What is the investor sentiment that side to side because you've already sort of raised funding, you just had a huge round of funding and a half years back. But in the market, when you go around talking about Lending. So ultimately, capital is a commodity. You do it digitally, all do it, break and water. Give us a sense of what the challenges you are facing in this environment. I think the way we see the last year and a half is it has been a, obviously a testing and challenging time for, for the entire sector. But it's also allowed us to prove to an extent that our models are working from an underwriting perspective. I think it's pushed us to invest more deeply in areas like collections. Sure. And I think it's also created a lot more focus on the capital supply side of the equation, right? So I think while earlier there was a very common narrative about fintechs versus banks, I think the last year and a half has actually forced these two players to work a lot more closely together. And what you're seeing in particularly in the last 12 months is I think a surge in partnership-based models. Uh, we call it co-origination, but essentially where fintechs work alongside banks, leverage the balance sheet strength of a bank and the bank gets to leverage the tech and risk capabilities of fintech. So I think in some ways, there's been a paradigm shift in fintech lending in the country. And a lot of it has probably been accelerated by the events of the last year and a half. Interesting that you mentioned that, you know, perhaps the NBFC crisis also pushed you in how you also running your business in terms of some internal processes. But tell me one thing, you know, there's so many digital lending upstarts also, right? And we, and we talk about moats a competitive advantage in the environment that we are into right now where capital is super abundant perhaps at times capital itself can also pick the winner right? capital itself is such a huge competitive advantage so how are you sort of you know maneuvering that slug fest see i think capital firstly there are modes exist in two three different areas right well capital is obviously probably one of them i think Capital also comes in a few forms. It's not just about equity or debt, right? To Shashank's point, if you are able to have the back-end balance sheets of a few large banks at a cost of capital that makes sense for us and for the borrower, I think that itself becomes a mode because we've developed a lot of tech partnerships with a lot of these banks and that partnership is itself the mode, right? And so that becomes a conduit for further capital. So it's a bit of a virtuous cycle almost in a way where you build good tech, which becomes a mode that brings you more capital, right? And that capital actually helps you kind of grow. So I think... It's, it's all about, again, the product that you build for the consumer side or the SME, but also the product that you build on your back end or the liability side. And those two become the modes that help you kind of improve the wheel at the end of the day. So how different is your tech from other players? Give me a sense of that. Yeah, it's a great question, right? So I think the, the answer varies on the SME and the consumer side. I think on the SME side, we've now been on a journey for almost six years to really be able to crunch down the time it takes for an SME to be able to give a loan. The biggest challenge for an SME today is the, they're on the shop floor, they're on the factory floor, they don't have time 
to go through a lengthy paper driven process of waiting for a loan approval from a bank sure. they need an answer yesterday yeah. right and i think what we've now been able to do over the last few years is actually develop our risk models and our tech to a point where today smes can actually apply and within a few minutes get an approval and what on is on our platform on our platform and i think what is particularly powerful about this is while two years ago this was largely an urban tier one tro city phenomenon today we're seeing almost 50 to 60% of applications coming in from tier 2 and tier 3 cities and for in those cities for smes to be able to get let's say a 5 10 lakh loan approval within a couple of minutes is a game changer that there has never been seen in the sector for a very long time Mm-hmm. So, and this tier two, tier three cities. So, are you saying that the face of lending is changing in this country? The new kind of entrepreneurs, rising entrepreneurs, emerging in various parts. I think they've always been there. I think they are starting to grow now, and their their needs are starting to get met through digital lending platforms, right? Exactly right, and and a lot of the government infrastructure that's been created over the last few years, whether that's GST or Aadhaar, etc., is has paved the way to kind of a, a lot of them to be able to access financial services in an efficient manner. Okay, you must be give me a sense of your expansion plans. Like, where do you go from here now? Yeah, so I think uh, obviously uh, the f- three kind of focus areas for us is one is obviously kind of see how do we keep growing our lending disbursals. Uh, over the next 12 to 18 months, and grow at least from a 30 to 40 percent uh, year-on-year basis, and grow our SME business as well as our consumer business. Right? Uh, our, our consumer business does today at least we have close to about half a million customers already, and the goal is to take that to at least four five million over the next uh, 12 to 18 months. The second thing is as we really think about uh, uh, lending, we also kind of think about how else we can improve the life cycle and the lifetime value of the customer. Right? And so, how do you think about non-credit products as well? Because We like to have a long-term relationship with the customer. And which would those be? Not when I speak to a lot of fintech upstarts, you know, because it's kind of fresh in my mind. The positioning statement for some of them has also been that we want to be one-stop solution for SME, one-stop solution for them. And also, it's why they pick up your target audience. So I want to come back to this. That you know, so how can one company be different from the other? How much differentiation can tech really bring in there? Because ultimately, all of you are data mining, data crunching. The backend is solid. There's the entire experience of this entire world, which is actually an overworn cliche that I want to disrupt this industry. We want to go to the Google way. So help me understand, Mr. Shyam, that how can one digital upstart be different from the other? Yeah, it's a great question, Shreeja. I think so. The the simple answer to your question is that the market is still so large that there's space for multiple players. But I think that I'll go one level deeper than that. The returns to scale in this business are very significant, right? I earlier told you that one of the big question marks on people like us a few years back was, have we seen a cycle? I think conversely today, uh, players that have actually been around for several years have done significant amount of business, have seen the economy go through its ups and downs, are at a much better vantage point to be able to actively underwrite the risk of newer segments and newer geographies better. So, to give you an example, we we recently crossed a billion dollars in loan originations. Today, we are one billion three. Of lifetime loan originations, as Gaurav mentioned, over half a million customers. Six thousand crores in loan originations. Eight thousand five hundred crores in loan originations lifetime. Right, so that is a significant amount of runway to have tested our risk models, figure out what works from an underwriting perspective and wow. what doesn't. That's a very difficult advantage for someone to build on day one. Mm-hmm. And and you have done that in what matter of like five years? 
But you mentioned this. You know, there seems to be you know financialization of the economy, if you will. You know, almost every product company, every company right now wants to get into financial services. Would be be it Apple, be it Xiaomi, be it Google, the tech companies. And then there's this large question being raised that you know banks itself have to see themselves as more tech companies rather than lending companies, which is where you guys come in with the tech finesse. So what is the future of banking in that regard? When I speak to traditional bankers, they say, and very assertively, they say that they can never ever be only digital play as a future of banking. But here I see people like you, the others upstart, are very very confident of digital lending being the path forward. So what really is the future of banking in that way? I think it's a DNA, right? And and that's very important because. you have to be able to have obviously the tech dna to create the right user experiences to create the right kind of ux and and be in tune to what your customer is asking but at the same time anything in financial services whether it's lending or insurance or savings or anything has to have a certain uh, dna associated with it of being able to manage financial services the complexity the, the regulation the compliance right and i think folks that will win whether that's a bank or a public sector bank or an nbfc or a digital lending startup i think the folks that will win Are the ones that can actually get this balance right. Indian banking for me really has been a study of contrast. You know, for instance, on one hand, we have this huge banking system reeling under huge NPAs. One can't even even talk about it. On the second hand, you know, we are the sinusoidalized the entire world with India stacked some of these UPI things that we have done on the innovation yeah. front. So it's a study of contrast in that regard. So the banking system has had very hard lessons to learn. In terms of how they lend, in terms of their credit rating, in terms of their risk management, if a bank which has been there in this country for so long has had a difficult lessons to learn, do you think digital lending startups can really have a better risk management profile that way, a lower NPA ratio? Do you have lower NPA than banks? Do you have NPAs at all? So I think every lending business will definitely have NPAs, right? I think uh, I think it comes with time, right? How long you've been in the business. It's not that obviously banks have had their challenges. It's not like digital lending players don't have their challenges, right? I think to Shashank's point, how do you see cycles? One cycle, two cycle, three cycles. How do you plan and get better, right? With every cycle that you see, you go, your systems and processes only actually end up getting better, right? And some banks have obviously done a great job of overcoming a bunch of cycles and becoming better over the last fifteen twenty years. And digital lending startups will also follow a lot of that journey, and will eventually really get to that point where they become very competitive. if not more competitive than a lot of these banks whether it's from a risk management or an npa or a collections uh, perspective so partnership models with yeah. banks you know are there any models in the west uh, along the lines of which you are building out capital float where the differentiation statement just becomes much more clearer uh i mean there are interesting businesses when we actually started this business a lot of our inspiration did come from early digital lending companies in the us and in the uk whether it was the likes of Of a cabbage, a sofa, a lending club, a funding circle, and many of them, right? I think what they did well early on is obviously uh, they were able to crack the liability side, right? Whether it was peer-to-peer -peer funding that a lending club did, or it was sofa that did a highly uh, securitized uh, model very early on, right? So some of our co-lending and early securitization models that we do on the liability side are actually quite inspired from them. Even if you see a lot of our our, our lending partnerships and co-lending. actually we are the ones who kind of have pioneered in india and now we actually funnily enough seeing this hybrid model that we apply today 
which is part NBFC, part uh, coal lending model, is actually now finding its way from India back to the West, <laughs> right? So I think we're seeing a reverse model almost in a ways because people have obviously had liquidity challenges there. And so people are now realizing the power that comes with having part balance sheet and part co-origination. Give me a sense of what is your burn rate like? So, I, I mean, obviously there's something that that it's it's an important metric for every company to track and we've been drastically kind of bringing that down uh, over the last few months and years and it's almost down by about 50-60% to what we were about 5-6 months ago. Let's talk about a very important stakeholder in the life cycle of any startup, the investors. You know, you know give me a sense of any strategic, the most significant input that has come from the investors stayed with you, what would that really be and which investor was that? There have been so many along the way, right? I think a lot of the advice that that they have kind of given us along the way has been very helpful. But I think particularly over the last 12 to 18 months, since obviously the, the sector has been kind of going through a tough spot, I think uh, the board, which is mostly comprised of all our investors, right, has been very kind of, of thoughtful in terms of, okay, what should we be doing in the business? What should we not be doing? We actually have fairly detailed discussions that this is the plan for this quarter. And I think it's not one particular silver bullet advice. I think it's two things, right? One is constant feedback that they give us. Okay, this is the right path or this is the wrong path. Let's kind of change course. And two, even if you do make mistakes and kind of stumble, they're there for you and say, okay, no problem. This is one mistake. Let's pick up. Let's kind of move on, right? I think uh, silver bullet advices are easy to give. I think folks who actually hold your hand through the process and kind of see you right to the end is actually more important. And we've been lucky enough for all our investors to kind of uh, do that even though they are kind of situated in all over the world. So we've got a few in the US, we've got a few in India. And I think they, they come together fairly well as a cohesive unit to be able to, to guide us through uh, difficult times. In specific strategic input in terms of uh, do you have a strategic investor on board like a lending club or someone like you have had a meeting with one of those guys and the investor helped you intermediate that? Oh, so I think uh, We've learned a lot, as Gaurav said, from global players, right, across geographies, right, the US, Europe, China. And I think one of the benefits of having investors on a global footprint is they help you open these doors. Yeah. Right? Uh, and I think in the early days, um, there was a lot of value in understanding these models generally. But I think now what we're seeing is, is the ability to kind of tap into our investor group to actually share best practices with players on very specific issues. Right. So, for example, if we want to really understand how digital marketing on financial products is working, we have a couple of intros immediately that can be lined up to have that. If we want to understand this whole beyond credit play and how that's playing out in other markets, like let's say a Brazil, for example, sure. we have the ability to make that connect. So, I think I think the Indian fintech ecosystem has sort of reached a point of maturity where we're not just able to, I think, draw and learn from peers globally, but also able to contribute back in some of these discussions. And I think the investor group is quite pivotal in facilitating a lot of this, given that they have portfolio companies all over the world in a, in a similar space. This was a Live Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast. I'm Annie Apple, and I'm here to invite you to come and listen to my new podcast series, Raising April. It's the most intimate sports-related conversations you will hear. Each week, we explore the journeys of some of your favorite NFL players through the eyes of those that know them best. From Joe Burrow, DeAndre Hopkins, 
Miles Garrett, Ezekiel Elliott, Nick and Joey Boza, just to name a few. With exclusive insights and information, we leave no stone unturned. Subscribe now to Raising a Pro on your favorite podcast app.